podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Podcasting to you from my field here in beautiful rural Ireland. I'm Trev Downey, and this is Malby on the Spot, your weekly chance, thanks to Anfield Index Pro, to hear the wit and wisdom of your friend and mine, Mr. Jan Malby. Good evening, Jan. Good evening, Shona. I hope you're uh, hope you're enjoying things. I'm enjoying things after a fashion, yeah. I mean, we have to say we were off the mark with our assessment of how it might go against Forrest. Um but as it worked out with other results elsewhere, not such a painful weekend as it could have been in terms of when you take a glance at the table, the damage was limited somewhat. Um, but quite a shockingly off display by the Reds. I did not see that coming. No, uh, not Forrest, but Luton, Trevor. Uh, oh, excuse me. Pardon me. It's OK. It happens. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you do a lot of those things and sometimes we forget. Uh, it's always in these situations easier to listen, isn't it? Than to speak, because when you listen, you, you sure. tend to pick up on these things. So, no, I totally agree. Uh, if you remember when we spoke about the game last week, I thought there'd be a period where there would be a battle for the right to play. Uh, and we never really overcame that, did we? You know, the, the, the game was a... It sort of was a battle right the way through, wasn't it? And that's probably because we... We lack quality and we lack energy. Uh, I mean, obviously, the lack of quality is, is not permanent. Uh, that for a number of players was a was a one-off. Uh, the energy thing, you never quite know. Uh, you know, once we come back after the international break and we start with City, it's full on then with a couple of European games and midweeks and Christmas and whatever business. So we need our energy back, but I'm not. I'm not for one suggesting that what we saw on Sunday at Luton is what, what we're going to be served up. Uh, you know, I still think that I'm quite pleased where we are, uh, where we are in all competitions, three points off the, the top in the Premier League and going well in the Carabao Cup and going extremely well in the Europa League. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it was an unexpected bump in the road. Yes, and you will have those, and uh, even the best teams have them. I suppose perhaps it might be a little bit of a wake-up call is too strong an expression, but perhaps a little bit of a reminder for folks who were getting gung-ho about title talk that most of us who were watching this were thinking, well, okay, it's going to take time for these guys to bet in, and we are still a couple of pieces short of the jigsaw puzzle that we we had all kind of expected to see completed over the summer you could see for example i think yana might be wrong in saying this but i think you could see that if that squad position at the left side center half left full back convertible type player 
could have been added that perhaps we wouldn't have had to play Joe Gomez out of position and then perhaps it wouldn't have been quite as exposing for Trent on an afternoon where he didn't look his best at all in any of the roles, whether hybrid or traditional. Um, I suppose you could say that if we had the more traditional deep-lying midfielder, that Alexis McAllister wouldn't have looked half as, frankly, exhausted as he did on the day uh, because that pressure wouldn't have been there. Um, So those kind of things, I guess, could have been predicted anyway, Yeah, just going by the squad shape. But like you say, we're still in touch. You've then felt there was nothing that was a worry as such for you. I, I mentioned no, I, the trend thing because I'm I'm anxious to hear you. You're taking this. We're persistent with this thing, and and for me, he's looking less and less effective as a contributor almost with every game. I I don't see the sense behind it. No, we 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 speak about it almost every week, Trevor. Uh, a couple of weeks when we knew that Andy Robertson was going to be missing a significant amount of games, we spoke about options, and I don't even remember. I said, well, why can't we play Trent maybe as a left back and, mm. and use Joe Gomez as as a right back? We did it the other way around. I would have still preferred us to have gone the other way uh, because I felt that the strength of Luton's play is on their left, i.e. our right defensive side, and that would have been more sense uh, to have stuck Joe there. And maybe then also, and I also think what you do then with Trent is once you kind of play him out of position and then he knows that people are going to be looking at him, I think that would have just cheered him up a little bit. Mm. Okay, he's throwing me a curveball here. Deal with it. And I think he, he he might just have got into the game a little bit, but but all these things are easy uh, as the games have been played, isn't it? it? As I said before, it was one of those things. Obviously, the point, disappointing bit is that we've convinced ourselves that the three promoted teams are as bad as we've seen, and then of course for us to drop uh, the points down there on another day, Trevor. Is it is it any worse than? Darwin Nunez scores that volley. Do we then win the game 3-1? I, I don't know. Uh, so I, I still think there's things within the game where you kind of go, that first goal is massive, isn't it? And you knew we were in trouble once they got that first goal. Because we have had some issues playing away from home. Uh, but once they got that first goal, I was like, ah. Had it gone the other way, even half to the second half, and we scored one on it, I'm convinced we'd have won three or four nil because they would have completely have had to change the way that they approached the games. Uh, we talk about we didn't show up with a lot of qualities. <laughs> Neither did they, but they do have they do have hearts. You know, give them credit for that. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I do want to talk to you. <laughs> excuse me, a little bit about them and what you make of them and all um, that type of thing. We will, I suppose. The biggest uh, disappointment on the day was the underperformance of quite a few. Uh, I would say, in defence, you had Virgil and Ali who didn't really put too much of a foot wrong. I thought Canade was fine, but maybe not his greatest day. Um, but it, it did feel a bit like in the first half, Gravenberg was the only one of our midfielders who looked as if he was anywhere close to his form. Um, it was it was strange and disappointing but you you got to give the guy a break he's going to have a bad game every, every so often to see um Sabazlai nowhere near at it uh, like I said McAllister just looked to me now I could it could be a complete misinterpretation and no doubt some stats guys will tell me he covered more miles than anybody else but he to me he did look 
off the pace, if nothing else. I, I would say, I would suggest he looked a little bit gassed. And then you have that situation. And we'll start there. You mentioned Nunes. Do you think, um, I remember what you said about him recently. And I just want to remind folks of that and get you to say it again or get you to go there again. I have the feeling when I look at him missing a sitter like that one or a couple of the other chances that were, to be fair, unlucky and there was a good save from him as well. Uh, there's the woodwork one. I have a feeling that doesn't affect him at all. I think he strikes me as one of those kind of guys that he'll just keep doing that. And people can have all the uh, fits and, 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 and tantrums they want about it. It will not have any impact on Darwin Nunes. Would be my take. Does he look that kind of guy to you? So if we, if we just, we go all the way back to McAllister first, because I just want to talk about him, because you talk sure. about McAllister. And, and, and maybe, and I don't know if that is the case, I don't know whether there's a statsman who showed it that he ran as far as he's ran all season. I don't know. But I do know from my own experience, sometimes where you go, I feel tired. So that can affect your sharpness in the game. But it doesn't necessarily affect your ability to to run at, at, at one pace. And I thought that's what he did on, on Sunday. And I, I was never famed for, for, for running. But I do sometimes feel that when I knew I wasn't on it, you would kind of try and cover yourself by at least running around as much as you possibly could. Now, I, I wasn't working on, on Sunday. I was watching the game. And sometimes, I hate doing this, but McAllister's first pass is an easy pass out to the left, and he puts it out of play. And I went, ah, I don't like this. And my mate goes, it's the first pass, it's the first. I said, yeah, I said, but it sets a tone. And I can see, you know... I'm looking at him and thinking this is not going to be his game. This is going to be his game. And instant, then as a player, what do you want to do? Ideally, you want to hide a little bit in it, but it's impossible in, in the in the in the in the position that he's got, isn't it? And then, of course, we go on to Darwin Nunes. And funny you should mention that because I've spoken to quite a few people since we did last week's podcast, and we spoke about you know people. We spoke about he needs to improve. He needs to get better. And I go, I just think he'll be what he is for the rest of his career. Mm. And I spoke to quite a few ex-players over the weekend and even Monday. And, and they kind of look at him in the same way because we've all come across them. We've all played with teammates who you go, I'll tell you what, he's going to be some player when he improves. They never do improve, but they still they still do okay because they do what they do. Now, David Nunes is not somebody who needs to improve from here to here, is he? Mm. Somebody needs to improve from here to there. So he's always going to do okay, isn't it? And I think Darwin just falls into that. So that chance, I, sp- I told you the other week, I met Ronnie Rosenthal again at, at, when we played Spurs. And obviously Ronnie yeah. Rosenthal is famous for that miss at Villa Park. After the game, he couldn't have been less bothered, you know. Yeah. We're winning 1-0. I remember I'm playing centre-half alongside Torben Picnic. And all I see is, is Ronnie Rosenstein go around the goalkeeper and I've turned to say something to Torben and go, listen, we're 2-0 up. We ain't going to fucking let this go. <laughs> he misses the chance. We end up losing the game 4-2. So we're coming to dressing room after the game and Shunis is pissed off. Now, he's worked it quite clever in that he doesn't go for the juggler straight away with Ronnie. He has a go with Torben Picnic and me as a centre-halves allowing Dean Saunders to, to uh, have two assists and score two goals there. But, but when eventually he gets to Ronnie, you know, and fucking you, you know, what, you know, and Ronnie go, what the problem? Okay, <laughs> so what? <laughs> so, 
And that was his take on it. <laughs> oh, I miss Chance so far. You know, and that's yeah. his take. So yeah. when I met him 30 odd years later, it was still his take. Yeah, and people still talk about that miss. He said, what is wrong with people? I said, well, money. it was a fucking belter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, you know. So, so some people get it because they look at the bigger picture and whatever. Other people just, this is not a big deal. The game is 90 minutes plus. I missed a chance, so what? You know, and I think that's how Darwin will, 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 will approach that. I get that feeling myself. He seems to be that kind of kid. And um, uh, frankly, I'm delighted if he is. Uh, I can see him lead it. Because like you say, if if there is a, a situation where he's always going to be that bit kind of mercurial, he's never going to Can I just use... say something now, Trevor? So I yeah, go ahead. You know when you have when you have somebody who's like him, and it was a bit like Ronnie Rosenthal or whatever, it, that, that inconsistency that they have in their game, if they were affected by the things they do wrong, I don't think they could play football. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, if you have a rock-solid game and they, they always say to you, if you're in trouble, go back to your game. You know, so you'd, you'd strip your game back and you go, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep it nice. Steady. Now, I think those characters, like Darwin Nunez, if the things that he does not particularly well or the things that we feel the need to be critical about... If that affected him, I'm not sure he could play football. Because I think he'd be worried to death about some things, even sometimes some very basic things that he gets wrong because that's part of his makeup, isn't it? I don't think he'd be able to play football. Sorry, Trevor. I just I just wanted to say that while I, while I remember it. No, I think I, that's pretty much where, where, where I was driving the, the bus myself. I mean, I think he is probably mentally bomb-proof, that kid. He's one of those guys. Um, other people, you get the feeling Stephen Gerrard was a, a guy who was always in his own head. Um, it doesn't – the reason I picked Stevie out is even the best players sometimes can be like that. You know, so I, 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 I would encourage people to, to listen to what you're saying. I think it's not something to be stressing about. It is disappointing, of, of course, overall – in the greater scheme of things, when you think that we could have those two points and be looking very handily placed in the table, as it is, you can't really argue with the positions. And again, it's one of those, yeah, listen, if, if they had offered it to you after 11 games that you'd be tucked in three points behind City, um, I think everyone would have taken that. Um, we're only two off Tottenham which makes their sort of little bit of a lead that they had accumulated shrink down a bit. And for all the uh, sadness of Miguel Arteta, we managed to eke past them on goal difference or whatever it is. So I will take that. Uh, it's not a bad situation to be in. Of course, as you say, all depends how we come out of this. Well, we've got a game to play first. How we come out of, out of that break then and go into that last section towards the end of the year, which is a killer. It's massive, massive season-defining period, uh, Premier League season-defining period, at least. I wanted to ask you something about, and it's related and it's not related, if you know what I mean. The, on the back of the the, the the result, there was a lot of talk, as there always is, about the midfield. There's been endless talk about the midfield. But interestingly, during the week, one of the guys that we've been linked to very heavily, Andre Trinidad, has... Um, he went on, he, his team, Fluminense, won the Copa Libertadores. And I think everyone, there was a couple of stories, little stories, again, linking us quite heavily. He was being asked about Klopp in interviews. But it looks very much like this kid is going to go to Fulham. 
uh, where he'll be linking up with his um, uh, Brazilian mate there, uh, Palinha, for a while. Um, I wonder then, in the wake of that, is this magical type of player that we're looking for out there and available? Because I think a lot of people thought we were going to get this one done in January. And in the absence of that, we're now back to perhaps two situations. One, it'd be classic recent Liverpool, where we don't know anything about it and it just happens. Luis Diaz, Fabinho, that kind of thing. It's just, it's done and, and we're told about it, which quite frankly, I'd love. Or I think we could be in for a window where there's going to be a lot of pissing and moaning, Jan, because nobody's coming, because they don't fit the profile, because we just can't identify them. We couldn't. We spent all summer trying to identify them and find them. We couldn't get them. The chances of getting that specific type of a player in a short little window in the middle of a season, I don't see it. So I think there's going to have to be maybe a, a realisation, perhaps, amongst fans um, that, that that's how it's going to go. What, what's your take on our need to do business based on these 11 games. It's not quite, it's just over a quarter of the season. What are you thinking? Is it shaping up like we really do need that person, that type of player? Yeah, I think so. Uh, for two reasons. Uh, and one is to do with McAllister because I think we would be massively helping him uh, because I think the more games he plays as a number six, uh, the more he might be sort of affected by his form because he's a much better footballer than what he's been able to show. He's shown us little glimpses of what he can do, but he's a much better footballer. And then, of course, as a team, uh, you know, also I think as a team, we would be much better. Uh, even if it meant that McAllister wouldn't be in the team and they would be grabbing Burton and, and uh, Javosai, whatever it is, isn't about, I, I think in number six. So the number six we want is out there, Trevor. I, I have no doubt about that. But it would obviously be somebody who's very heavily based on, on, on some stats. They might have dug into some stats that we haven't even looked at. So he's out there. I get the impression, I said this last week, that it's not something we're going to be madly pushing for in, in, in January. Uh, we feel that we've got enough options, maybe not the, quite the right options. But I think we feel we've got enough options uh, in, in that role. And I think they've been quite taken back with uh, Curtis Jones and the way that he's been able to, to put it together. Uh, so I don't think it's something we're going to be pushing for unless somebody else all of a sudden shows interest for the guy that we wanted. Uh, the only other thing I could see in January is not a great month to, to do business, although we've made some really good signings as a club. In January over the years, uh, a clause, a clause in a contract would be something that, of course, would help you. You know, where you go, well, listen, it's thirty-five million there. Right? There's your thirty-five million. But I can't see Liverpool spending a couple of weeks trying to negotiate in January to try and get somebody, uh, unless something happens. Uh, I think we're in reasonably good shape. I, I, I think we can all see what we need. Uh, but I think it's most likely. We're going to be slightly frustrated, I think, in January. I have a completely non-realistic question for you. Just a bit of, bit of fun, because I was listening to a show today and they were t- talking about the early days and rise of Roy Keane. And I wonder if you can think of anyone who would be a better fit than that. If you could pl- pluck a uh, a player from Premier League history, recent enough yeah, Premier yeah, League history, yeah. to plug into this team 
Who would it be? Would you go for the obvious? We obviously we can't have someone like we can't have Fabinho because we've had him. So who would you, would it be? Someone like someone like Kante or who is who is it, who is it? Do you think would would do that job for us? I think I think there is a number of players who could do that job. No, obviously Roy Keane. Uh, I don't know what Roy's situation was before he came to to to, to England. I mean, for the people who don't know, he he actually made his debut at Anfield. For Nottingham Forest, uh, because that's where he went first, wasn't it? Uh, before he went to, to 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 Manchester United, and I don't know whether he was a Liverpool fan or whatever. But if we sort of discard Roy because he's uh, tarnished, Roy's tarnished by having played for Manchester United. So, uh, but yeah, you mentioned uh, N'Golo Kante. Do you remember Makélélé, uh, who came over had a brief spell at uh, Chelsea? Uh, but I have to say, in modern day football. The big boy at, at Arsenal, Patrick Vieira. Mm. I, I, I just, for the way that we play and the way the, the job that Klopp likes our two centre-halves and the number six to do with a high defensive line and winning your headers and all these things, his mobility, I, I yeah, Christ almighty. Do you know what? I have never, ever thought of this. You know, I've never yeah. thought who would I yeah, do. Yeah. I've never given this a thought. You spoiled yeah. my evening now. <laughs> <laughs> Why is Patrick not twenty-one? <laughs> you know. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna that, spoil you. Could you imagine you know? that, Trevor? Oh, it's, it'd be ridiculous. It would be ridiculous. Wait, you know, you're right, and you're so right. Almost the perfect fit. I, I'm gonna spoil you even worse because I, one of the details I got about this, um, the debut. Uh, that you mentioned was at Anfield, yeah, uh, against against Liverpool, uh, obviously, and Clough kind of completely took it by surprise. Keane had played for the reserves the day before, had gone on the beers with the reserve lads, uh, got the call. He was going along with the first team, but thought no more of it than he was going along. Next thing, uh, Clough gives him his start. Now, this is the detail I wanted to ask you about because I'm not sure whether you were involved in that one or not. But the fellas who were talking about it said that pretty much his first contribution to the game was kicking Johnny Barnes up in the air and shouting and roaring at him. And I'd say that would have pretty much marked him down as the lunatic that he went on to be for the rest of his of his career. And probably Clough loved it if it's real. Did that actually happen? Do you do you recall that? So what I remember uh, is that he played wide right. You know, he didn't play as a winger, but he played as a, as a wide midfield player. And it was probably because of John Barnes, who was playing as, as, a, as a left winger. And he would probably be thinking, Roy Keane, double up and help the right back trying to deal with John Barnes. So... Kicking John Barnes would have been his first act. Yeah, I can't remember it uh, myself, but but that's how he played, isn't it? What yeah. I want to know, Trevor, is if have you ever heard the stories about when Nottingham Forest he probably liked to get to the ground last minute, yeah, forty-five yeah. minutes before the game. That's early enough. And if he got to buy Anfield an hour before the game, he dropped the players off. Have you ever heard that story? Yes, to walk the last bit. Oh yeah, do you understand yeah. Stanley Park? Yes. <laughs> Bus driver, open the door. What for? The lads are getting off. We're here too early. Now walk up there and get used to that fucking atmosphere. Yeah, it's that's fantastic. You Isn't it love, fantastic? I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's oh. fantastic. Now you're not you're not getting off the hook because I have another hypothetical question for you. Uh, 
I was listening to uh, my mate Dave uh, Hendricks daily show today. Must get Dave on here to have a chat with us someday. I think he'd enjoy his company. And we were talking about, or Dave was talking, excuse me, about part of a series he's doing where he picks his top 10 uh, centre halves, left side and right side, top 10 midfielders and all the rest of us. So I thought Liverpool, we'd do it. All Liverpool. No, no, he does Liverpool, no. then he does Premier League, then he does International. Okay. Yeah, okay. So th- th- this is the way, he, and so it's great content for a show when he gets to talk about all these players. So I thought we'd do a little pared down version, and I was going to ask you if you would pick it being your your wheelhouse, the five best midfielders that you have seen play. If you want to do Premier League only, if you think that makes it easier at first division, obviously, uh, that's fine. Or if you want to do just that you have actually seen play the game, probably up close will be better. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, Premier League, you would have been talking about the likes of Steven Gerrard. Uh, I was a big Paul Scholes fan. Uh, I've always enjoyed the way that, that, that he played. So, up close, I mentioned Brian Robson before. You know, I mean, at a relatively early age, I'd already played with some unbelievable footballers and some young footballers also went on to become some unbelievable footballers. So it took a little bit to get me to go, wow, you know, how good is this? But Brian Robson did. Uh, I didn't particularly enjoy playing against Brian Ross because I thought he was a really good player. I also, strangely enough, I always liked Glenn Hoddle as a footballer. I also enjoyed playing against Glenn Hoddle because when we played Spurs, it was kind of a football match. Him in midfield, me in midfield, we're going to play a bit of football, Jan. You know? Whereas when you played against some of the others, Peter Reid, it would be, I'm going to kick you, Jan. And, and good luck if you can get it was never like that with Glenn Hoddle you know he let you play and I was more not kind enough to let him play although McMahon you know I'm going to fucking get him I'm going to get him you know what I mean because McMahon had this big thing with, with England didn't he you know yeah. he, he always had this thing about failing to be recognised uh, playing for England and whatever so I will, I will probably take those two uh, I would then have to go in yet again to Michel Platini uh, who was even when you look at all his goals or whatever, he was a centre midfield player back in the day where most teams played 3-5-2 or 4-4-2 or whatever. He was a centre midfield player who did a little bit of everything, you know, and Michel Platini, you know, Trevor. He he, he had it all, you know, he, he, he had it all. He was a fantastic footballer. Uh, and then I, I go back to one of my teammates at Ajax and again, People get confused with where did he actually play? Was he a sweeper? Was he a centre-half? Was he a midfield player? Or well, Frank Reichardt. Frank Reichardt is, is, is just a, a personal favourite of mine. Uh, there was nothing that boy couldn't do in second gear. You know, you look at footballers, you have footballers always flat out, and then mm. you have footballers who never flat out. He was never flat out. He never had to. It was ridiculous. And I just look back and thinking, if he'd have played today where... When he played back and they let him get away with it, because it, it, it never affected anything we did that he wasn't flat out, because he was still one of our best players. But I think if you'd had somebody say to push him and go, listen, Frank, you know, if he'd have had the same as Cristiano Ronaldo, where he wants to be the best player on the pitch in every single game, if Frank would have had that, oh, 
And this one, Trevor, is the first footballer, first midfielder, centre midfielder I ever fell in love with. And he played for München Gladbach and Real Madrid and the German national team. Günther Netzer. Ah. Are you two? No, no, no. No, 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 I know Netzer, yeah. I uh, see. Günther Netzer was the first one I watched. And I went, yeah, my boy. You know, uh, yeah. I wasn't a Borussia Mönchengladbach Gladbach or Real Madrid fan or whatever. As a kid, I was an Arsenal fan. And I, I fell in love with Ian Brady. Uh, Liam, Ian Brady brought the other sound like Jack Charlton. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I fell in love with Liam Brady. Uh, but he wasn't a centre midfielder, he was more a wide man, isn't it? But Gunter Netzer was just... Gunter Netzer was the only one I tried to be as a kid in right. the garden. Right. Yeah, I wanted to be Gunter Netzer. Two-footed, stylish, yeah. So I never got to play against him. I, 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 no, I think that'd have been OK playing against him because I tend not to be starstruck, isn't it? But yeah, that's, that's, that's sort of my list. Unfortunately for some of our listeners, it'll be a little bit before their time. But the good thing is with Google and whatever Google, with YouTube, have a look at these guys. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, these, you know, I, I think that's a, that's a that's a good selection, actually. That's a good list. I like it. Yeah. Next week, I'm going to bother you for your five defenders and we'll do the five attackers the, the week after that. That's great. I like that. Enjoyed that very much. Uh, we should try and keep on track because we have a lot to get through. Obviously, we do have a game coming up um, very quickly as in tomorrow evening so we'll give that a little bit of time I guess um, in terms of selection more than anything else I think it's what most people are curious about because we do go to Toulouse um, it's an annoyingly early kick off uh, quarter to six uh, tomorrow um, and it is the one where a win there means I think we just need another point from the remaining two fixtures to be guaranteed off top place. Um, we don't get the win. Everything starts to get a little bit more complicated and the selection issues become real for the game against Lask, which comes straight after City and very quickly before Fulham. Um, and then we have Union, uh, where we play them on the 14th of December, having played Crystal Palace the week before and freaking Man United three days afterwards. So you don't want to have to select your best lads in those two games if you don't have to. Um, so it's an interesting one, Jan. It does pose an interesting question for Klopp. I think a lot of people were quite surprised at how strong he went on a couple of occasions recently in this and in the uh, um, EFL Um what do you expect from him? Because it seems to be more about rhythm with Jurgen uh, than than the deliberate policy of playing a first team and a second team, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Now it obviously depends on what he makes of the game on Sunday. Am, am I making this up, or did Klopp say after the the, the Luton game that he felt that we were a bit flat-footed and some of the players looked a bit pale? And you know, uh, so so maybe Klopp. I've seen some from the Luton game that he didn't like in terms of energy. Uh, if if he's not worried about it, then I think we'll be reasonably strong. But I actually don't think we will be. I think it'll be much more of a Carabao Cup uh, team selection because we've now got a home game to make sure of qualifications. So so I think there will be 
I'm not 100% sure what the situation with the younger boys and Ben Dog and people like that, but if they're available, I would think, although it's never ideal for, for the young players when they get a chance that it's away from home, isn't it? Uh, but, but then, of course, this is, this is the other school of thought is where you think, well, OK, we've only got that game and the Brentford game uh, before the break. But it's not as if the break is 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 a break, is it? Because traveling all over the world and playing international football and whatever it is. And so so I think we're gonna be I think he's gonna be wary of who he puts out on Thursday. Also, I think because he has a lot of respect for Brentford. You know, Brentford is a tricky, tricky, it's always a tricky game. We've done well against them at home. Uh, when they've been up to our place and you think this could be tricky with their you know, counter-attacking style and uh, set-piece deliveries and whatever. We've always done well against them at Anfield, isn't it? But I still think Klopp has a lot of respect for Brentford. So I expect us to be... It's wrong to say weekend because I like to Keller and all them will we'll, we'll, we'll be playing. Uh, so it's... I don't think... I would be amazed if Mo Salah and Shubhaz and, and those guys, they, they won't be turning out again. I, I can't see it. Yeah, probably... Perhaps you, you 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 talk about qualification, and obviously that is the aim. But winning the group is a completely different ball game to uh, coming second or whatever. Not that we should really balls it up at this stage, especially when you look at the run of form Toulouse are on there. I heard them referred to by some guy who should know better in the mainstream as French minnows, which I thought was a bit harsh. I mean, they have been in the Champions League over the years. But they had a last time out, they had a 2 1 loss to La Harve. That was at home. They lost to Montpellier 3 0. We beat them 5 1. They had a 1 all before that, a 1 all before that. And you got to go back to the last game in match day two when the last day they picked up a, a win and that was a 1 0. So, you know, and even their league form is not inspiring at all. They're 14th in Liga. So, I think you're right. I think he'll probably be sensible. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised to see that bench stacked, Jan. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised yeah, yeah. if we saw yeah. 25 minutes of Dom Sabozlai if it's if it's a stalemate, that kind of thing. Um, no, I agree. With, with, with regard to the Brentford game, which we might as well get to now because you've already flagged it up and it's one that we should we're obviously as usual going to spend a bit of time on uh, you know we can we can first of all I suppose refer to where they are in the table in ninth position on 16 points which means they are ahead of Chelsea uh, despite Chelsea's recent um, odd dramatic weird game victory uh, they're ahead of Crystal Palace and West Ham and Forest and Wolves so they're okay. They're literally two points off Man United. So, as you say, this is not a challenge to be taken lightly. Um, in terms of people want to know how they're doing recently, they had a 3-2 win last time out um, against West Ham, which is an impressive result. They beat Chelsea 2-0. They beat Burnley 3-0. They were beaten 2-1 by United. They had a one-all draw at Forest, and they had a narrow defeat against Arsenal 1-0. Uh, and then the previous game to that was a defeat at Everton. So there's a mixed bag of results there. A couple of really good big wins for them. Um, a couple of solid draws and a couple of narrow enough defeats. So they do seem to have something about them, Jan. And just, again, in terms of just getting an idea of what they were like last time out, people want to know, 
in a game against West Ham, which obviously they would be thinking of as a winnable one for them, but a challenge nonetheless. They went with Flecken and Goal, Collins and Pinnock, who have been their, their uh, centre-halves. They had Jan Elt and Azure uh, at right and left back, respectively. They had Onyeka, Nargard and Jensen in midfield. And a very effective Mbwemo, they had Neil Mopé and Wissa up top. And from their bench, they can choose from a number of people. Uh, Godos came on, Ben Mee came on, Strakosa came on, Rorslev came on, Yarmuluk came on. Uh, they also had Jorgensen on there uh, and a kid called Briarly as well. So they look a very solid team. And compared to Luton, they're on a different level squad-wise. They are on a different level, I think, as well within their actual ability to play a stylish game. This manager is quite highly rated for a reason, yeah. Yeah, they do really well. And uh, I get to see a fair few live games with Brentford because of their Danish connection. Uh, so you mentioned that they lost 2-1 to Manchester United the other week at Old Trafford. I have no idea how. No idea. I mean, this was the last last uh, two late goals from Scott McTominay. I mean... Brentford so deserved to win that game. They didn't. Uh, add to the fact that they've been without Ivan Tony all season. Yeah. Nico Henry, excellent left back, uh, has been out now and will be out for a year. And Ben Mee still hasn't got back to full fitness. So I think they've done a really, really good job. Tactically, they never get done tactically in any games. He's very good at swapping. I reckon he'll come to Anfield, he'll play three centre halves and he'll take it from their, their strength. It's counter-attacking and set pieces. Uh, you you sort of you get them pinned back, you get them pinned back, and you get your goal. You'll be okay, isn't it? But the longer it remains nil-nil, or even if they get in front, the more difficult it, it, it gets. You mentioned the front line; uh, they they got a lot of pace. They get the ball forward very very quick, and and, and they run and run and run. I like them a lot because I, I don't know what the situation is, but last season. They're the second to lowest budget in 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 the in the Premier League, so they massively overachieved what they've got. Obviously, we've got the likes of Luton and Sheffield United up, and I would I would think that their budget would be would be uh, lower, and so they might have the third or the fourth or the fifth lowest in the but they still do really well. So it's every time I watch Brentford, regardless of who they play against, I think they're more than capable of causing upset. I mean, they won their last three games at Stamford Bridge. That is a massive derby for them. They come on the same part of London and they keep going to Stamford Bridge and they keep going ah, 2-0, 4-2 and whatever. It's very, very impressive. If you're not at it, we play like we play against Luton. Trevor, big trouble. Yeah, well, yeah, game over, I think, for sure, because it's a different, um, there's a different level of clinical uh, uh, footballer in this in that, in that Brentford team. I, it feels almost a bit redundant to talk about because there is a game in between but if we allow that you know what you're suggesting is probably how it's going to go and that there is uh there are far less immediate first teamers involved um what is our strongest 11 to go out and win this one which look you can say what you like, but psychologically, it is a must-win already in the season. You don't want to be losing contact with that group. You want to stay right on their heels, um, right on 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 the on the on the heels of City, um, right up close to Tottenham, and stay ahead of Arsenal. So, with that in mind, I think our best eleven kind of picks itself. 
And we weren't far off it in the last day against Luton. And yet, so I think Curtis could come back into consideration here. What are you thinking for this? How do we go at these guys with the lads and the form they're in and all the rest of it? So obviously, immediately I'm thinking, why did Joe Gomez play against Luton? Yeah. Did he play because Klopp had respect for the physical element that Luton brings from throw-ins and corners and free kicks? If that is the case, then Joe Gomez plays again. Because if anything, Brentford are better than Luton at it. They are more quality. So I tend to think that it won't be unthinkable that he will go with the same back four. Uh, the likes of Simicas, uh, uh, Lewis Diaz, uh, got what happens in this situation, they might get a run out Thursday. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me if we go with the same back four. And it wouldn't surprise me if Curtis Jones comes into midfield, uh, probably instead of, of, of Graven Birch. And then up front, you've got a little bit of manoeuvring. I know, I don't know for a fact, it sounds ridiculous, I know, but I would think that Klopp would pay some attention to, Klopp would probably think that they're going to play with three cent halves and they're going to defend deep. So Klopp might think, is this a game for Cody Gakpo? With, 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 with his responsibility on the ball and the link of play, and there might not be the space for the David Nunez to run into and do whatever he does. In the, so there will be some will be some consideration to do in 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 in, in terms of that. Yeah, there there will, there really will. I it is going to be interesting to see. I think you're right. I think the last time out, um, the couple of times recently we've seen Mo start when a lot of us were scratching our heads. I doubt he starts in the week. He will obviously start uh, against Brentford. I'd love to see Darwin keep getting a run of games now because I think like we've kind of already touched on you're going to get this up and down. So let's make sure he's there to get the up moments as well uh, because they are so wonderful when they come along. And the more often they come, the more reliable he gets and so on. Um, the question then is, Luis Diaz is obviously in a, has been in a hellish situation. Um, we didn't really mention that earlier on, but it was nice to see a little bit of support uh, for the club from him in the previous game and then for him to have that moment in the last game I think was fantastic pretty much all you could really take on the day from it until we saw how the results panned out but whether or not he's currently in a position to be in our best 11 I think he is Jan what do you think if I'm picking my best attacking trio for Liverpool and this may be harder than Jota or whatever or Cody but it is Diaz it is Mo it is Darwin that's what I want to see I think that's what most fans want to see yeah, uh, the problem if we go back to Darwin is that if you analyse everything he does, what you need to be able to do with Darwin is look at the bigger picture, isn't it? Look at his 90 minutes instead of that minute or that minute or that minute. This. And so I agree with who is our best front three. Uh, but obviously, Lewis Diaz is, 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 is in a unique situation, a very unpleasant situation. Uh, and I'm, 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 I'm thinking he might get an hour in Toulouse on Thursday. Have him on the bench against Brentford. I mean, what a what a lift that would be for a game as well. Mm. Let's say that the game's not going our way. Bang, the next thing he's warming up, he's coming on. You can only imagine the love from from, from the crowd at Anfield, can you? So that might be his thinking. In it. And then it's just a case of how does he feel with Cody Gakpo? Also because, as much as we talk about Cody Gakpo, he's a totally different player. But you also need some physic- physicality in there because they're big, strong boys. If he goes for three centre-halves, you've got to be prepared to go with them, isn't it? So... It's a 50-50. I 
I think we'll know Friday morning when we've seen the team play so tonight, isn't it? But at the moment, I think he goes with Darwin. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right too. I think you're right too. Um, I did want to talk to you about some other bits and bobs that I've been paying attention to recently, some interesting stories uh, and the way things are shaping up across uh, the the game in general. Um, but they're bigger topics and I'd like to give them a little bit of breathing space. So I just want to flag up with you next week about the defenders and the attackers. We're having to think about those are five best that you have seen play. Um, but we should just touch on that thing that we I wanted to talk about in the previous week because in the wake of the Luton game we saw uh, an apology statement, if you want to call it that, it was very half-arsed from Luton, uh, acknowledging the mm. chanting. Uh, it's even got its own name now. It's called tragedy chanting. If you can believe that we live in a society, Jan, where such a thing can have its own title, it's pretty depressing. I think you'll agree. Um, but I felt what Luton said was one of those, well, I'm sorry if you were offended type apologies that nobody wants to hear. It felt half-arsed and uh, it focused more on praising themselves as a club and the fans and how great they are than anything else. Now, of course, there was a, a token uh, sort of promise to go and try and weed out the culprits and so on and so forth. I don't know if this is necessarily a looting problem. We've heard this type of thing far too often. There are certain clubs where it's very much, you can be almost guaranteed you'll get that and certain clubs where you won't now I suppose we could have expected it because Luton such a throwback Luton Liverpool such a throwback fixture there probably were quite a few in the stands who maybe they go back to that era I don't know I don't know but it felt kind of disgusting to have to be listening to it and the, the irony of it you know and it, 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 those chants coming from people who live in a part of the world that's scarcely any better if not it actually worse in, in terms of things like you know childhood poverty and it just seems so grim in this day and age to have to be listening to it I wonder when you hear that type of thing when you see statements coming out do you, is one of those things Jan, where you shrug and you just go that's just it's something we have to kind of live with or can you think are there actually strategies we can we can possibly see people implementing the game to remove it I mean what do you think yeah I think you I, I think there is ways of doing it, Trevor. Uh, I, I think, and this is not an excuse, but I do think, see, Manchester United and the rivalry we have with them, I don't think there's any excuse when, when they sing about us, yeah? Because they are well aware. I think there might have been some ignorance on some Luton fans in that they might not quite know what they're actually singing about. That doesn't make it right. But my first thought was, What's it got to do with you? Why are you now singing about this? You know, mm. like I said before, I hate it as much as Manchester United do it, but it's kind of okay. But you think, what's it got to do with you, Luton? You know what I mean? Why are you getting involved? You know, stereotyping the football clubs and cities, isn't it? You know I mean, it just doesn't work. Uh, so he was extremely uh, disappointed. But I do think there's a way of educating people. You know, and every time I talk to my good friend John Barnes about whatever it is, uh, he always goes with it. It's all about education, isn't it? So you do things until somebody tells you not to do it anymore, whatever that might be, isn't it? And I do think generally that is the case with most football fans. So tragedy chanting, is that what you called it? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Most football fans have realised, yeah, fuck, this is not funny, yeah? So most yeah. of them have been there, haven't they? Most football fans, I mean, 15, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you get a whole stadium singing, wouldn't you? Yeah. Now you get a section of the idiots. But generally, the most football fans who are reasonable people have gone, yeah, this is not fun, this, this is not banter. We've been there, haven't we? You know? So I do think there's a way through this by educating people. You know, I would, I mean, Luton, piss poor, you know, as if we don't want to upset our 10,000 fans. I mean, come on, play the fucking game. You know, tell them it can't take long to look through 10,000 faces and turn a few of them out, isn't it? This is the whole thing I have with these things, Joe, is consequences, yeah? You step out of line when you're a fan inside Anfield, you can kiss goodbye to coming back into Anfield, yeah? yeah? You don't care. About three years ago, that young kid who ran on the pits, and he managed to get himself off the pitch, but as he jumped off the pitch, he fell over, broke his leg in hospital. While he was in hospital, they told him, you can't come back. And he's going, why not? He said, because you entered the fucking field of play. That's yeah. for the players. You stay in the stand. Consequences. People at Anfield are petrified of doing anything wrong in case a steward goes, sorry, mate, I need your season ticket. Consequences, same for Luton. Make a stand. Pick them out. You might not be able to get them all. I'll pick a few out and go, listen, I'm sorry, three, five, forever, you're out. Consequences, yeah. Trevor. Yeah. And I think that's a real, real, real strength of Anfield. It's consequences, yeah? You step out of fucking line at Anfield, you're in big trouble. So Luton can do a lot better. But I do think there's, there's a way of educating these people and going, listen, do you actually know what you're thinking about, singing about? And do you actually know the whole history of the outcome and whatever, whether it's, it's about the Hillsborough tragedy or other tragedies or whether it's the city of Liverpool and whatever it's you know, I mean, how can you compare Luton and Liverpool? You can't. You know, Liverpool is on a whole different level in terms of everything, isn't it? You know, so Luton have got absolutely nothing to shout about, isn't it? And I do feel that most Luton fans would probably be embarrassed that they would feel the need. Their kind of grief is with Watford, isn't it? You know, fucking leave Liverpool alone, you know? Yeah. It's, it's odd behaviour. It really is odd behaviour. And it's felt like such a flashback. You're right. It doesn't feel like it fits with modern football at all. Now, you spoke about consequences. I did say to you last week that I flagged the look because I want to just run it past you as well. I'd be uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't at least run it past you. And I'm kind of wondering really what you're hearing from people around the city, people around where you live, uh, about this whole issue. Because you spoke about consequences at Anfield and we saw... In recent weeks, um, Ed, the kid who went in with the Palestinian hoodie and got told to take it off, got taken away, got taken off him. I think he got sent back out in a t-shirt on a on an October evening. It just felt a bit. It felt very odd. You would imagine, even just as a gesture, they'd have given him a jacket or something. It was just painfully odd I thought and at the time it's very easy to go and to get emotional and think look the lad's just trying to show empathy with people who are suffering and um, is that what we're all about you'll never walk alone etc etc and then we saw the thing with the banners the lad who does the banners and he was asked to remove his endo banner because the Japanese flag and we don't do flags anymore apparently um, it's just a new UEFA directive or whatever and again, there's the thing for the club to hide behind here, Jan. This is what I'm trying to f- frame it up. There is a thing for the club to hide behind. And some people will be listening to this and say, yeah, and proper order. It's good fucking sense. Don't be inciting any kind of uh, conflicts between people. Uh, but And the simplest way to do it is zero flags. 
I don't know what I think about that. And it felt that the banner thing was almost a statement to this kid. He, his banners had been used by the club in promotional activity. Um, and then all of a sudden they were a fire hazard. They were too big and he couldn't have them in the ground anymore. And it felt like because he had made a stand about the, the Palestinian thing that perhaps... Um, and then, you know, he had said, made, he'd said what he said, sorry about his, his endo flag, that it wasn't nationalistic, it was a national flag. There's a fucking difference. Look, it's a complex issue. We're not going to solve it on a podcast, but you must be hearing more than I am what local people are saying about this. We saw what happened in Celtic Park, that big outpouring of emotion and empathy. I thought that was us. I heard people say, Jan, they should be the only ones allowed to sing You'll Never Walk Alone now. That's probably an, an emotional overreaction, but you, you see where people are going. What, what, what are you hearing locally? Well, I'm hearing a bit what you're trying to say, Trevor, in that we, we're a very expressive football club, aren't we? Yeah. Always have been. Uh, you know, going all the way back to the 70s through our flags and through our songs and whatever, isn't it? And, and feel, people feel that maybe that's been taken away uh, a little bit. Uh, you, you stick up a Japanese flag, that can mean a number of things, yeah? It can just mean yeah, you're a happy Japanese fan who's inside the stadium, but it can also mean other things. But you stick up a, a Japanese flag next to a Japanese footballer's name, there is no room for manoeuvre. You are supporting that player, aren't you? You know, so I, I don't know why the club would feel the need. And when you say they hide by, so I assume you mean it's a fire hazard, the flag is too big, whatever that means is. And so, yeah, local people are disappointed, Trevor. Uh, always have been because you, you know what, you, you know more than I do what the fan base of Liverpool, what they want to be able to do, as I said before, very expressive business. So, yeah. It's disappointing. I understand from the club point of view, it's a very difficult situation. You know, it's right on a knife edge, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but it's probably one where they didn't come out looking particularly uh, good. Yeah, it, it, you're right. And it does come down to emotion. And we as fans are allowed to make emotional statements and, and decisions. And uh, I, I do see, and I, I use the phrase that they're hiding behind legislation and, and, and directives. And that sounds a bit like I'm digging them out. I kind of, it's, it's my way of digging them out because I do feel a bit like they are hiding behind it. Um, I would rather that we were just, I, I would rather it was a free for all, everyone could bring whatever freaking flag they wanted rather than saying no flags ever. That to me just seems a bit daft. But look, we leave it there. I just wanted to hear what, what the, the local feeling on, on it was, what, what, what you were picking up on. And I can't say I'm surprised at what you've said. But we are running around to the end of the show again and we need to go to our regular spot at the end where we have two games for you to uh, call at the moment. We've got Toulouse tomorrow night and then we've got Brentford on the weekend. What are you thinking? So you mentioned before that Toulouse is in dreadful form. We've yeah. seen firsthand why that is. They yeah. didn't play particularly well at Anfield. They're easy to play against. We created so many chances. So I do think that even with a little bit of a weakened team, I think we'll be able to go out there and beat them. So I think we'll win 2-1 and to lose. Uh, I expect Brentford to give us a game, uh, but again, purely based on, on quality. And maybe one or two of the players just wanted to make sure that you get back on an even keel. Uh, so I think we'll beat Brentford 3-1. It'll be, it'll be tricky for a while, I think, but I think the longer it goes, I think we'll be okay. So a 2-1 away win at Toulouse uh, and a 3-1 home win against Brentford. 
that should set us up nice for yet another international break. Yeah, but we come over with a bang, don't we? So uh, that'll Oops. be right out uh, right out uh, yeah so we look forward to that and obviously myself and Jan will be there with you for all of those games uh, we'll be back with you to talk about how those two games that Jan's just predicted went and look forward to that last um, uh, little game that we have or the next little game that we have coming up but between now and then we'll see there will be as Jan said at least probably one week off uh, for that international malarkey but as ever we talked about midfielders we talked about the past we're talking about the future we're talking about society talk about round the houses my friend i love it great lots of topics as ever so thanks very much yeah great i really enjoyed it trevor and i'm now going to go and think about what patrick Vieira could have done in that midfield (laughs) (laughs) yeah well and don't forget defenders and strikers for next time uh we'll 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 look forward to it thanks to jan uh it's a pleasure as always to chat to the man and get his insight on everything i've been trev daddy that was jan malby this is malby in the spot and we'll be back with you very soon take care we hope you enjoyed listening to this anfield index show please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically there's nothing quite like fan engagement and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free... Sports Social Podcast Network.